Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number seven, Exploring the Client's Preferred Future, part two. Greetings, and thanks again for joining me here on Leading from Behind. In this episode, we'll continue with our look at the follow-up questions used in exploring the client's responses to the miracle question in solution-focused therapy. In addition, we'll also look in some detail at the use of relationship questions as a way of further understanding the client's ideas about her preferred future. And finally, in the resource section that concludes this episode, we'll identify a few websites where you can learn more about the growing body of outcome research relating to the solution-focused approach. So, once again, thank you for dropping in. I hope you'll find this episode useful in your practice. To begin part two of our discussion of the client's preferred future, I'd like to make a few observations first about developing our skills in this area, as well as summarize some of the important points made so far. First, in a good first session in solution-focused therapy, the largest part of the session would be spent in examining the client's responses to the miracle question. Now, this isn't always easy for new practitioners of the approach. It can take some time to trust the questions we ask and our belief that people have the ability and expertise to locate useful answers. Now, once you've asked the miracle question, one of the most helpful things you can do is proceed slowly with the follow-up questions. So it's important then to select the client's first answer and spend some time with it before moving on to what else the client might notice. Of course, our clients won't necessarily make this easy for us. Sometimes a particularly enthusiastic client will respond with a flurry of ideas about what will be different after the miracle has occurred. In these instances, part of our skill is being able to gently and respectfully find ways of slowing the client down so that each of these good ideas can be explored in detail. On the other hand, of course, there are times when our clients don't have an immediate response to questions about their preferred future. Or, as mentioned in the previous episode, they simply respond with, I don't know. In these situations, we might have to be patient and use gentle persistence. In some cases, we may even have to formulate the same future-focused question differently in order to seek a more useful response. Now, we'll see an example of this shortly when we take a look at relationship questions. Ultimately, though, the key in strengthening our skills and exploring the client's preferred future is repetition. The more we do it, the better we get at it, especially when we pay close attention to what's working or making a difference when we have success. Now, before we return to our case example, let's review the general process in following up with the client's responses to the miracle question. First, we listen and choose the client's first response to what he or she would notice that would suggest that this miracle had occurred. And if the response isn't something specific and behavioral, we want to ask questions that deconstruct the client's language. As well, if the client identifies the absence of something, then we want to be curious about what would be happening instead. Next, we want to amplify the client's response by asking questions like, what difference would this make? Or how would that help? or perhaps, and what good things might come from this. From there, though, we continue to ask, what else would you notice? Now keep in mind that we're not asking about a miracle day, as this can limit the range of possibilities for the client. 
So it's useful to say on occasion, as the days or weeks are passing, what else would you notice? So let's go back to our case example. The client, a woman named Rachel, has expressed her best hope from the conversation as a desire to get back to the way she was before. She experienced a miscarriage, some health difficulties, problems at work, and setbacks in her relationship with her partner, Alex. In the snippets of conversation that we've heard so far, she has already described how she would start her day by getting up on time and eating a healthy breakfast. At work, she would be getting her tasks done on a more timely basis and would be getting back to her past efforts at leading improvements in her work activities. So let's continue now with our exploration of Rachel's preferred future. And so what else would you notice as time continued to pass that told you that this miracle had happened? I guess I'd finally be getting, you know, back to the gym. Like you used to do? Yeah, I used to go on my lunch hour at least three times a week, or after work, if I wasn't too busy. And what difference did that make? I mean, I can probably guess this, but how was that helpful for you? Oh, it made all the difference in the world. My weight was good, I had more energy, I feel better. So Rachel responds with a very clear example of what she might be doing. And again, my task as the counselor is to amplify the difference this would make in her life. Now, most of us could likely assume how going to the gym would make a difference to us. But again, it's important in solution-focused practice to take a not-knowing position and ask the client how this would uniquely make a difference to her. Secondly, we want to invite the client to hear the sound of her own voice. Again, this is probably the essence of leading from behind. We're asking questions and invite the client's expertise about where she'd like to get to, rather than telling her where she needs to go. Now, a further example of the deconstruction of language is available in Rachel's last response. She mentions that she would feel better. So again, this is an opportunity to seek some behavioral detail. And when you feel better, how does that show itself? I'm just, I'm just more outgoing, you know, more patient. I, I pay more attention to my appearance and everything. Once again, asking this question brings us some useful detail and illuminates more of Rachel's good reasons for wanting to get back to the gym like she did in the past. Now, once again, we continue with our exploration of the client's preferred future by continuing to ask, what else? Here's another of one of Rachel's responses. And so, as the days continued, what else would you notice? Well, Alex would be more interested in us getting pregnant again. And so, how would you notice this? Well, he would talk about it more and and even bring it up. He said he was afraid to after the miscarriage, but that was like three months ago. He said he was waiting for me to feel better, but I told him. It's just made me feel worse that he doesn't talk about it. And so what difference would this make to you when Alex is talking about getting pregnant again? It's huge. I feel like we're on the same page and that we both want the same thing. Now, as mentioned in the previous episode, it's common for a client to talk about what others might be doing differently after the miracle has occurred. And, as also mentioned, it's important to ask for detail about how the client would react or respond as a result. But in this instance, I'm curious as well about whether Rachel's partner is aware of what she would like from him. Finally, I want to seek some behavioral detail that describes what Rachel is looking for from her partner. And does Alex know this? 
Well, he says he does now, you know, since we talked. And so how will you know that he does, that he understands this? Oh, I think that will be pretty easy. He'd initiate sex like he used to, rather than waiting for me to do it. Now, at this point, it's probably reasonable to ask, how long do we continue to ask for the client's details of their ideas about their preferred future? And the best we can say here is that when we reach the point where it seems that the client has quite naturally reached their limit of useful answers, or the limit of their own imagination, or in keeping our eye on the amount of time available, we know that it's time to move on so that we can accomplish the rest of the important tasks we want to address in a first session. However, we can further thicken the client's response to the miracle question by asking what are known in solution-focused therapy as relationship questions. This is when we ask what others might notice about the client that would give them the idea that some kind of miracle has occurred. And of course, in already knowing who is important to our client, we would specify who this person might be. So here, I ask Rachel a relationship question pertaining to the miracle. So, Rachel, let's suppose that Alex was here right now. What do you think he might say that he would notice that would tell him that this miracle had happened? Now, before listening to Rachel's reply, I'd like to note first that relationship questions can be extremely useful for our clients. It enables them to look at themselves through someone else's eyes and sometimes connects them to things that they've already heard from people who are important to them. Interestingly, it's sometimes easier for clients to think about what they want for themselves by looking from the lens of another person. So, here is Rachel's reply to the relationship question. Oh, he'd probably say I was more active. Now, my task as a therapist is to do the same things I would do with Rachel's own responses to the miracle question. I want to deconstruct her language, seek description of the presence of something rather than the absence of something, and, of course, amplify how the described behaviors would make a difference to the client. And how do you think he would notice this? I guess in the evenings I wouldn't just be on the couch in front of the TV. And what do you think he'd notice you were doing instead? I'd probably be doing a lot more things around the house. You know, not just chores, but, you know, I was always pretty active trying to make our place look good, you know, more organized. And how would that help if you were more active around the house? Well, I guess it makes me feel good. You know, when the house looks good, and Alex tends to be more involved when I'm like that. And what difference does that make to you when Alex is more involved? Oh, that makes a big difference. You know, it feels more like a partnership. We're working together on something. Now again, we can certainly continue with the relationship questions in the same way that we did in asking about the client's own observations about signs of the miracle. And again, this is done by simply asking, what else? So, Rachel, what else might Alex notice that would tell him that this miracle had happened for you? I don't know. I guess I would just be more patient and positive with him. I mean, that's what he said when we had that good talk. And what's your sense of how he might notice that you were more patient and positive with him? I guess I wouldn't be so critical of him. I was just angry with him over the last few months. So how would you be instead? I don't know. I'd 
I'd probably show him more appreciation, I guess. And how so? How would he recognize this? I'd probably more be more affectionate and maybe even tell him that I appreciate what he does. Once again, you'll notice that I continue to seek behavioral descriptions of Rachel's language and inquire about the presence of behavior whenever she mentions the absence of something. And, of course, I look for opportunities to amplify the difference these behaviors would make. So, relationship questions are very useful ones in solution-focused practice. During the miracle question or exploring the client's preferred future, they're particularly helpful when the client struggles with identifying things that they might notice themselves. On countless occasions, I've had the experience of witnessing clients describe a very clear picture of their preferred future, almost entirely by answering questions about what others might notice about them. We can also be creative when we ask relationship questions. For example, we sometimes ask our clients what their children might notice after the miracle has taken place. In some instances, when people note the absence of anyone close to them, I've even asked them what their pets would say they would notice if their pets could talk. Not only has this led to a very clear and useful answer from some clients, it also brings some welcome humor and poignancy to the conversation. Finally, another means of seeking descriptions of the client's miracle, in the absence of their own observations or someone close to them, we can also create a scenario where there's simply a third-party observer. For example, we might ask, so supposing we had a video of you in your life following this miracle. What would we see in this video that would tell us that the miracle occurred? And again, we would listen for the client's ideas, seek details that are specific, behavioral, and realistic, and then amplify the difference this would make. In the resource segment of this episode, I'm going to highlight a few web links relating to research on the effectiveness of solution-focused therapy. Now, in the grand scheme of things, solution-focused therapy is a relatively new approach, so it's taken some time to accumulate a body of research that speaks to its effectiveness. Fortunately, there are people like Dr. Alistair MacDonald, a solution-focused psychiatrist and researcher in the United Kingdom, who has published an impressive list of research studies from all over the world on his website. The list includes meta-analyses, systemic reviews, randomized controlled studies, comparison studies, as well as naturalistic studies. Dr. MacDonald's site can be found at solutionsdoc.co.uk. Click on the link entitled SFBT Evaluation List. Wally Gingrich, a retired professor of social work in the United States, has been long associated with the development of solution-focused therapy. Like Dr. McDonald, he has also held a particular interest in the effectiveness of the approach. In 2013, he and Lance Peterson published a paper entitled Effectiveness of Solution-Focused Brief Therapy, a Systemic Qualitative Review of Controlled Outcome Studies. The paper was published in the journal Research on Social Work Practice. To access the abstract of the paper and a link to obtaining the paper itself, you can go to gingrich.net, G-I-N-G-E-R, ich.net and select the link entitled Solution-Focused Brief Therapy. In general, the findings of the reviews on solution-focused therapy suggest that it's a helpful approach for a wide variety of presenting issues. More significant, the reviews consistently point out that it tends to provide improvements to clients in far fewer sessions than other approaches.
So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining me. In Episode 8, I'll offer some final comments on the examination of the client's preferred future, and we'll move into the next phase of our look at first sessions. In that episode, we'll look at the exception-finding questions that follow the client's ideas about their preferred future. In closing, if you have a comment or question relating to the show, please feel free to contact us. You can leave a comment on the Leading From Behind podcast page at our website at hbtc.ca, or simply send an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. Again, as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind are available on or about the 15th and 30th of each month. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Follow the link on the podcast page at hbtc.ca to access the free subscription, or look for us in the iTunes store in the training subcategory on the education section. Finally, a big thanks to my colleague, Debbie Van Horn, for her assistance with our case example. And, of course, Dano from danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. The music used in the podcast is entitled Seven Skies. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, the solution-focused therapy podcast, episode number seven. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Centre. I hope you'll join us again. <laughs>